touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Bolgebaum. And it's time. Oh dear. For a new intro. Okay guys, <laughs> so we recorded just now an epic episode about smartwatches. And when I say epic, I mean it was over an hour long. As, as it turns out, um, there's a really fascinating and very long history about not just watches, but digital watches and the technology that has led up to what we are currently calling smartwatches. Right. So with that in mind, we decided to split this episode into two to make it more, you know, fun-sized for all of our <laughs> listeners out there uh-huh. who may want to listen to podcasts that don't have me talking on them. I don't know why you do that. But anyway, we have decided to split this up. So in this first episode, we're going to really focus on the development of wristwatches into the development of digital watches, and then leading right up to the uh, the, the the very birth, I would say, of what would become smartwatch. The, the, the point at which these devices started um, getting interconnected. Right. And a little bit more than just about time. So, a smartwatch, I guess it's a watch that does things other than tell time. Yeah. Yeah, see, here's the thing about smartwatches is that the definition is somewhat vague. And it's probably because we've got a lot of different ways that that people are coming at the the smartwatch design. It's kind of a convergence, really, which is... For those of you who have been listening to tech stuff for a long time, you remember, that's one of my favorite words in the whole wide world, convergence, uh, this idea of various types of things converging into a single form factor. And we're seeing this across multiple platforms, not just with watches, obviously. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, as as technology is is letting um, chips be smaller and more powerful and as displays are getting um, more energy efficient and um, more more capable of showing stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, as as the touchscreen capabilities are getting better, voice recognition capabilities are getting better. It's making the smartwatch uh, more of a reality, although, as we'll see, the idea of a smartwatch or at least a watch that is able to do more than just tell time is not exactly a new idea. It's actually been around for several decades, uh, but really uh, defining it is tough, really, because as we add more capabilities to watches, uh, we then have to have the discussion of does this make it a smartwatch? And more frequently than not, I see people say, no, that's not really a smartwatch. So really, a smartwatch is more about what a watch isn't rather than what a watch is. <laughs> right, right. And, but, you know, it's, it's we were talking a little bit before the show, and I and I kind of think that the, you know, if we can define a smartphone as um, as, as a phone that lets you... Um, access the Internet and access the power of the Internet through various things like apps and browsers. Uh, but 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 furthermore, uh, choose what software you put on it. Most mm. watches are not really at that point yet. Yeah. Um, even, I mean, most smartwatches, even, yeah. you know, there you are a few there are few instances of smartwatches that are running something like the Android operating system that allows you to install apps, although the. Uh, utility of those apps is somewhat compromised by the fact that the watch form factor is pretty small. Sure. So using a lot of apps that are designed for a screen that's at least the size of a smartphone, if not a tablet, makes it 
problematic when you're getting down to the smart own size. Yeah, yeah. So so I would say that a smartwatch is probably more like something that um that allows you to have connectivity mm-hmm. to your other devices. Right. It might be a second screen experience for something like a smartphone. Uh it's really, you know, getting into this era of wearable computers. Right. And we're seeing that grow year over year. And I, I think the watch is going to be probably one of the earliest examples of a wearable computer, but we're going to see this implemented into lots of stuff. Uh, in the future, we, we've got activity trackers, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. And in fact, activity trackers and smartwatches are converging as well. Oh, it's sure, not sure. Just, not just the smartphone and watch models or even the computer and watch models. Yeah, because because a lot of the smartwatches coming out have some of those, um, you know, uh, GPS tracking components or a pedometer or gyroscope that right. will let you. Um... Right, right. Track whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. whether how many steps you're taking or, or whatever. And we'll talk about a couple of those, one in particular, as we go on in this podcast. So uh so we're we're kind of narrowing down the definition but to really understand about smartwatches it would help for us to kind of take a a trip through time haha since we're talking about time anyway Lauren is just going to be shaking her head through this whole episode because it, Which time I, like electricity lends itself to lots of puns yeah that's i you know it's going to be a good episode when Jonathan opens the show and i just go Ugh. yeah yeah yeah, no, she's already shaken her head twice, and we haven't really gotten started yet. Anyway, but, uh, let's, so. let's look at the history of watches and clocks in general. So, first of all, clocks date back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, especially if you're going to things like water clocks or hourglass, anything that is used to track the passage of time. Uh, but uh, if you want to talk about watches, something that's a wearable clock... You really got to go all the way back to the 16th century. 16th century. 1500. So this is the same century where Henry VIII uh, wed and wived and wooed and beheaded and uh, lots of other stuff right around that same time. This is this is a time at which Shakespeare would have gone like, man, that's a minute ago. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Shakespeare for the for the earliest watches would have gone. I'm not born yet. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Watches at this time were. Mostly coming out of of Germany, mm-hmm. uh, there were a couple of cities in in well what would be Germany, and uh, the the watches at those times uh, were these big heavy things made out of bronze that really only had an hour hand. They didn't have a minute hand at all. And sure, because the uh, the the mechanism um, would have been some kind of um, uh, it was pretty primitive. Like this was before they had invented uh, screws for things like watches. <laughs> so they're like giant pegs holding this stuff together. Really, the watches were these enormous, heavy pieces of jewelry that weren't meant to help you keep time. It wasn't, I mean, it, that's what they were supposed to do, but that's not what they actually did. What they really did was they acted as status symbols. So Flava Flav would have been perfectly at home at this time because that's how you wore them. Under these, the, you have an enormous chain holding in a, a big, what? I'm from the street. Well, I'm from A Street. <laughs> anyway, big, heavy watches that were meant to show off status. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, because they were expensive. They were very difficult to make. They didn't work so well, uh, which really, when you get down to smartwatches, kind of mirrors the development <laughs> of the smartwatch. So, sure, sure. But at any rate, they, they were just wearable clocks. So mm-hmm. so not a wristwatch at all. These things were heavy, and you wore them around your neck in the, on a big chain. Eventually, the the uh, technique for making watches improved, 
you began to see more precision in watches and, and clocks as well. And they began to get smaller and lighter. And so as they were technology does. Yeah. And they were still worn as pendants, really, until the late 1600s. So around the 1670s or so, that's about the time that the waistcoat became a fashion statement. So once the waistcoat became a fashion statement, also pockets became a thing. And that's when we started seeing the pocket watch. So the the next uh, step in the evolution of the wristwatch was the very first wristwatch, uh, now, there's some reports that say that people began to modify pocket watches so that they could be worn around the wrist, um, mostly for the ladies, because gentlemen like to have a big old unwieldy pocket watch because it showed how, again, wealthy and important they were. Right, but uh, but as ladies did not necessarily wear waistcoats, I yeah. imagine that was a that was a fashion thing where again, you're just going like, look, I've got 28 yards of dress, zero pockets. <laughs> right. I need I need a way to show off that both one I'm important and two I need to know what time it is. Right. Uh so in 1868, a Swiss watch manufacturer named Patek Philippe created the first documented wristwatch. Now, again, there may have been wristwatches before this, but this is the first time that anyone actually bothered to say, this is this is it. This was designed to be worn upon the wrist. And it was jewelry. It was ornamentation. It was meant for a lady. In fact, it was a very important lady, the Countess Koskowitz of Hungary. And uh, other watches, again, may have been adapted for bracelets, but this is the first one that was designed for that purpose and actually documented as such. That's according to the Guinness Book of World Records, by the way. Uh, now, if you go up to the 1880s, that's when uh, another Swiss watch manufacturer began to mass manufacture wristwatches for German military officials who wanted to have a way of uh, of, of synchronizing time but not have something so unwieldy as a pocket watch. Now, if you want to talk about a wristwatch designed for the general consumer and not just the military, you have to get up to 1904. And that's when uh, Louis Cartier designed the first wristwatch for a man uh, that was not designed as just a military wristwatch. It was for Alberto Santos Dumont, who wanted a timepiece he could use while he was also operating his marvelous flying machine. Because while piloting a machine, he wanted to have both his hands available at any time and not fumble for a pocket watch. That's totally fair. Yeah. I can see that. So Cartier created a wristwatch for his buddy, and he called it the uh, the Santo. And they began to uh, manufacture them in mass amounts around 1911. And that's when we started seeing wristwatches hit the actual general public. And... um then we have to skip ahead to digital watches. So the first digital watch, that's like like what? The 1970s? The 1920s. Ooh, say what? Say what? Yeah, no, no. Uh it was it was a mechanical digital watch. So we're kind of stretching the definition here, but um but but by digital, I mean showed numbers on its face that moved rather than a uh, watch hand that that you know, around circulate the around the face. So we're talking about so, digits like the way you would think of an analog pinball machine where you had the little digit counters. Correct. Which would fall when yes. you used your supple wrist to play pinball better than anyone down in Soho. What was basically going on was was instead of having having watch hands move, it would be a little dial with numbers that would that it would, that would click turn. Through. Right. Mm-hmm. So so this was designed uh by uh, well, it was the Cortebert 
digital wristwatch in the 1920s. You just yeah. like saying that word. Yeah. So spoiler alert here, guys. I actually did know about this, but only because I had looked it up just before Lauren started talking. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So 1920s, first digital wristwatch. Now, for digital being that the digits are written down as opposed to, and the digits move as opposed to a, 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 an actual watch hand. Sure, right. Um, and and now other other stuff was going on in the early twentieth century with with watch technology. Um, the uh, uh, quartz movement was invented in the nineteen thirties in larger clocks, not at all in wristwatches yet. And and quartz movement um, just means that that when you hook up a uh, quartz crystal to an electric battery, the uh, it will vibrate. At a very specific at a very frequency. specific frequency. Yeah, it's it's the piezoelectric effect. That is what it's called. Thank yeah. you. And and when you when you uh you know hook up a bunch of gears and mechanisms to this uh, quartz crystal, then it will vibrate the uh, the mechanism the mechanism right. in time, which is how we get ticking watches. And because it's such or ticking clocks. Yeah, because it's such a a, a regular occurrence, then it kept time in a at a level of precision that had not been really affordable for anybody up to this point, because except for the, the very, very wealthy. Because, I mean, like, like the Swiss clockmakers were famed for their precision. But this was but a that was painstaking. All, that was all gear springs. Yeah. yeah. And by hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like... Not and, a mass manufacturing kind of way at and all. And making sure that making sure that uh that that you could wind it in a way that would not decrease the right. accuracy. Yes, because as as this mechanism would wear down, it would become less accurate over time, less precise over time. Right. So the because uh, precision and accuracy being related but different things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, if we get up to 1946, that's when uh, a character who was becoming quite well known in the comic strips, the funny papers. Dick Tracy, plain clothes cop. You may have heard of this character if you're not familiar with him. Uh, he was a, a crime fighting cop who uh, had lots of different adventures throughout decades mm-hmm. and decades of stories. The, the, the comic strip actually debuted in 1931. Um, right. There was a movie with Warren Beatty uh, yeah. in 1990. Yeah, I think, something, something around like there. Mm-hmm. Right. When Madonna did all the music. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, she oh, played uh, one okay. of the characters. Yeah. The, yeah, that happened. Dick Tracy had lots and lots of adventures. Well, in 1946, that's when he got his infamous two-way wrist radio. Now, this was one of those examples of using something like the wristwatch had now become something of a of a uh, a fashion item by the 40s. Sure. And so now this was taking it to the next step, having a two-way radio on your on your wrist as opposed to some sort of enormous radio that you're carrying around. Um, and it gave Dick Tracy that edge over some of the nefarious evildoers they would face off against. In 1964, he upgraded his two-way wrist radio to a two-way TV screen. So he wow. could actually see stuff and be recorded back, obviously, decades ahead of any uh, real-world technology that would allow you to do this. Now, I should also point out that in 1946, this is before anyone outside of a few laboratory folks had any inkling that a transistor would even be a possibility. Right. So transistors are what actually allowed us to go the route of miniaturization and have technology that's uh, that's this tiny. Other before that, I mean, you you're talking about vacuum tubes and enormous pieces of uh, of of electronic equipment. That's one of the reasons why we didn't have that quartz movement in uh, in wristwatches yet, because it's hard to get that miniaturization. But it was starting to to follow through. Um, 
So in, in 1954, Popular Science showed off a prototype wrist radio. So already people were talking about it being like Dick Tracy's uh, uh, wrist radio, which, by the way, to this day, when you see smartwatches announced, there's about a 70% chance there's going to be a Dick Tracy reference in there somewhere. Uh, I mean, I remember seeing those in 2009, and I'll get to that when we get to that part of the, the podcast, but... I think that must be a law. It's a it's a really enduring image. Yeah, it is. So the one in, that Popular Science showed off was designed by Sylvania, and it had a transmitter. So it wasn't just a a radio, as in a receiver, where you could listen to the radio on your on your wrist. I, I've seen other radios that were designed that way, wrist radios, but they were just receivers. So it's like having a pocket radio, except you wore it on your wrist instead of in your pocket. Uh, this was a transmitter as well, so you could actually communicate with somebody. But again, just a prototype. wasn't meant for mass consumption. It wasn't until um, 1957 that uh, we even had a watch that ran off of a battery instead of needing to be wound. Holy cow. <laughs> it's it still used a balance wheel mechanism. Um, again, the the quartz technology had not been miniaturized yet. Gotcha. So it's but still we're we're making progress. We are making progress. Um, uh, 1960 was when uh, Belova released their first Accutron watch, and that was um, that was a kind of a takeoff of the quartz movement. Um, it used a nickel alloy to to vibrate with the electric current of a battery um, at a at a less accurate interval. Gotcha. Than a quartz would. So not but, as precise as quartz, but still better than what had come before. Certainly. Nice. I like Accutron. Accutron. It sounds, sounds like a very, a very, uh, anal retentive robot. <laughs> <laughs> like the Accutron, the Accutron is the, is the robot that goes on Twitter and starts every tweet with, well, actually. And you know something? By the time this podcast has circulated, someone will have made an Accutron Twitter account if there's not one already. I guarantee it. I, I certainly hope so. I will be very disappointed if Accutron is not active with a week within a week of this podcast going live. Get on that, listeners. And every tweet has to start with, well, well actually. actually. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, 1967 um, was when uh, the CEH, the uh, Center Electronique Horlager, which was a Swiss research lab. Wow. Yeah, um, the Swiss mixing German and French together in a way that just... <laughs> Defies my ability to pronounce things. They, um, uh, that was the year that they, that they came out with a prototype of, of a miniaturized quartz movement. Oh, okay. Clock. Um, it did not hit the market because, um, because the, I think the Swiss were kind of like, eh, we can do so much better with mechanical stuff. And, and they gotcha. were doing really well with mechanical movements at the time. So, right. um, uh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, in, in 1969, that was the first commercial release. Of, ah. of a quartz movement watch. That was uh, Seiko's um, 35SQ Astron. Yeah, Seiko would become a big name in watches uh, over the next couple of decades. It should be mentioned that this first uh, uh, commercial quartz movement watch was such a technical failure that it was recalled after only 100 pieces were made. Wow. So um, not yet, <laughs> but it's, yeah. they would come. But but it was it was an important. I I think it really got the world to sit up and pay attention and and go like, oh no no no, this is a thing that is going to happen, and we should start getting on it. 
All right, so let's let's talk about a an actual electronic digital watch, not yes. a mechanical one. That happened in what, 1972. 1972. 1972. First digital watch. That was a uh, uh, Hamilton made it, and it was called the. Pulsar P1 Limited Edition. Pulsar. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, encased in 18 karat gold. Yeah. And it, it, it was using an LED display mm-hmm. with behind a, um, synthetic ruby crystal. Right. So all the light was, uh, red. It was red. Kind of like it was like a, a Cylon visor from or, the, like classic, a toaster. The yeah. classic mm-hmm. Balster Galactica, you know, the good one. Oh, well, okay, that's a whole other conversation. Um, uh, so it was a little expensive, as I recall. It was, it was, uh, $2,100 at the time, which equals out to about 11400 in today's currency. So yeah, if you got about 12 grand to drop on a digital watch, that's the one that you would have bought. And, and, well, it, you know, it was the only one there, so I guess yeah, that's, the, I guess that's what be the one you, bought. you would have bought. But, and, and, you know, certainly, certainly, uh, gold, gold watches with, uh, with, you know, all of the, Fixins these days are still quite expensive. That's true. There are watches that are well beyond oh, the, the, the eleven thousand dollar mark, but yeah, this yeah. was this was pretty expensive. Now I will I will say that it was a celebrity watch uh-huh. because it was seen in a film, uh, uh, Live and Let Die. Yeah, which was uh, one of the James Bond movies. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. It was a. Uh, it was also yeah. It it, ha- it had a twenty five chip circuit. Yeah. And um. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So, so supposedly the idea for this watch, uh, Hamilton had done a um, a digital clock for Stanley Kubrick's uh, film 2001. Ah. And um, this is this is according to a, to a great little article from the BBC that I'll I'll link on social. And um and yeah and and that kind of inspired the team to to put together the wristwatch this, this version. Wristwatch, yeah. Nice. Now, uh, you know, we're getting to the point here. We're still talking about just wristwatches here, digital wristwatches, but still just something that tells time. But we're slowly working toward the, this this idea of a wristwatch that can do more. Now, keep in mind, we had the examples of the two-way wrist radio, which wasn't necessarily a watch, but was taking the watch form factor and converting it into something else. But we're now getting into an era, even now, in the 70s, when we're talking about watches that could do more than just tell time. Uh, it was also the mid-70s when we started seeing the the price for digital watches start to drop when other companies got involved and began to find ways of mass manufacturing transistors at a uh, at a, a price that was way more uh, affordable right right uh, also lcd was coming onto the scene a little bit um right. in uh, in 1973 uh, seiko had the first uh, liquid crystal display watch um, and then, uh, but, but it was around, uh, 75, 76, um, companies like, like Texas Instruments, um, yeah. started putting out these, like, $20 digital watches. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, including in, in 77, they had, like, a whole Star Wars license line that was, you know, it, it was for 17 bucks. And that's including the license fee. So, you know. Yeah. So much, much less expensive than the, than the $2,100 watch that came out just a few <laughs> years earlier. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so in, in 1976, that's when Hamilton, you know, they, they were the ones who got on the on the board with the first digital watch. They came out with the first calculator watch, uh, one of the first ones to hit the market. There were a few companies that were vying for the Around title Around the same first. time, but I think I think Hamilton might have gotten it under the wire. The, the, the buttons on this were so small that they had to be pressed with a stylus. Yeah, which was included with the watch. Right. And, and you would, I hope, not lose it immediately. <laughs> because if you did, it just became a very... Uh, 
buttony looking <laughs> digital watch. You couldn't, and if you were in the middle of a calculation, I assume that uh, eventually it would fade away to whatever the time was. Mm-hmm. But in 1977, HP got on with the, their version of the calculator watch, which was the HP 01. They marketed it as a time machine because it was both a watch and a calculator. Wow. So uh, it cost uh, 650 bucks for this steel model. Wow. If you wanted it in gold, it would be 750 Um But then we started seeing other trends follow. So it was, you know, at first it was the calculator watch. But we started seeing other kinds of uh, uh, specialized digital watches, right? Right, right. And uh, in 1980, there was a, a gaming watch. Yes, um, and the GM-10. This- uh, and uh, and this th- this played a little three line version of Space Invaders. Yeah, this is a Casio watch. I I described it thusly. This is in my notes. Uh, you would use a blip that would fire blips at other blips. It yeah. sounds like a great game. Yeah, uh, from what I saw, it was it was horizontally aligned. Right. So, so your little blip was on one side, and the enemy blips were on the other side, and you would fire your blips across to those blips before they could destroy you. But it um, also told the time. It also told the time. Gaming watch. But this is something else that that uh, keeps me amused. I remember there there are lots of different comic strips that joked about the fancy watch that had all the different apps on it, and then they said, "What time is it?" And then the they response go, would be, "Time." Hold uh, on. <laughs> yeah. Either either it would take them forever to figure out how to activate whatever the time feature was, or or the time feature is just not there. Just not there. Sure. Sure. Sad uh, trombone. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> of course, later in the 1980s, uh, they they would come out with um uh you know watches that did miniature versions of of like Super Mario Brothers and Zelda and right. stuff like that. We'd see a but, lot more game watches come out after that, but this was the first one. This that was we could the first. Find. And uh, that year was also when Cassie came out with a, a, a less expensive calculator watch, something that the average person could afford, not you know drop close to $1,000 on it. Uh, it also came out with a watch, a calculator watch that had buttons large enough for you to press with your finger and not have to rely right. upon a stylus or paper clip, as I'm sure so many people had to rely upon once they immediately lost, lost. that stylus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just assuming that some people are, at, at least some people who bought this watch are as irresponsible as I am. <laughs> Uh, you know, we all look at the world through our own lens, right? And yours is one of irresponsibility. Darn yes. tootin'. So 1982? 1982, uh, Seiko produced a wristwatch with a tiny TV screen. This blows my mind. 1982. And, okay, and well, I mean, okay, it, it kind of sounds impressive, but it was, it was a, a, a blue-gray LCD yeah. screen, and um, it had to have an external box hooked up to the top of it so oh. that it could actually do the tuning. Right, right. So you didn't have a television tuner built into a wristwatch. It no. was it was a tuner that would attach by a port. You yeah. plug it in. Yeah. And um, then you could view the TV. Then, so it's not yeah. like a portable TV that you could take with you wherever and No. <laughs> Um, but 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 it was pretty cool. Um, that same year, uh, Casio came out with a, a watch that also had a, a thermometer. Very useful. And it is super super useful. I often wonder what temperature my wrist was. <laughs> and what hey that 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 becomes extremely useful in fitness trackers. Oh, that's fair. Later that's on, fair. I'm, but, being, I'm being snarky. But, but I think this one just told the ambient temperature right, of, right. of the room and so, or your so, wrist. So like, why am I sweating? Oh, it's eighty three degrees. <laughs> 
That's why. Um, and, uh, the, and, and, and also, um, th- there was a watch that had, uh, from, from Casio that had, uh, a, like, 1500 word Japanese to English translator in it. Wow. Which is, which is actually pretty cool for the time. I mean, yeah, you know, no, that's, no, that's, that's actually really interesting. 1982, I mean, y'all. Yeah, I wonder if Sean Connery had one of those in that movie he was in where he played <laughs> the Japanese, uh, expert. Uh, nothing like Sean Connery being a Japanese expert, by the way. Right. Rising Sun? Yeah, is huh? that, oh, okay. You that, that Michael, that Michael Crichton book? Yeah. I, I remember the novel. I never saw the movie. Oh, it was a, it was an experience. Though we should, <laughs> that's another movie we could do a tech oh. stuff episode about because they have a whole thing about digital, uh, manipulation, which was, uh, basically any Michael Crichton book though would, or movie. Yeah, but, but the, the, the way they display digital manipulation in this movie, it was, uh, not realistic for the time, but it's something we could totally do now. In oh, fact, cool. it's something that a Disney ride does right now. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, off topic. So getting <laughs> back topic. into it. Back to watches. Uh, in, in 1983, that's the first time that we had, uh, Seiko put out a watch called the, the Data 2000. And, yeah, yes. and this, and this was a little, a little thing that you could, you could set it on a, um, uh, I think it was a magnetically driven keypad, oh, okay. and um, and 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 enter data into the watch from this keypad. So it'd make it easier to put data in, as opposed to having to use tiny little buttons or some weird button combination. It was it was still uh, the, the the pictures of it remind me very much of you know maybe like like the um, the Microsoft Xbox uh, keyboard keyboard yeah the for the controller gotcha yeah. gotcha um, so still a tiny keyboard but but, very but bigger tiny. bigger than what you would normally see on a watch yes certainly um, that's also the same year that Casio came out with the CD40 which was a wristwatch that had 24 buttons that would let you type in short digital notes so oh, hey. kind of like kind of like a little memo taking or database type uh, watch but still you know, self-contained, right? Like everything you put on the watch stayed on the watch. There was no no, no, no way, way other out. than transcribing it to get the data off the watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1984 saw uh, Seiko's um, a, a kind of advanced version of this of this Data 2000 called the UC 2000, mm-hmm. and that had a, a slightly more enhanced keyboard and um, would let you program on the watch in BASIC. Wow! So you could have your own little. Uh, program where when you run it, it prints out a little picture using asterisks as the uh, the image because that's what I used to do in Basic. <laughs> that's about as far as I got in Basic programming. Which other things as well, I'm sure, could be done in Hello Basic. World. Yeah. That- <laughs> uh, 1987. That's when Casio released the TM100, which I, this was the first uh, watch I discovered while while doing research for this podcast. Um, which again takes you right back to the Dick Tracy wrist radio mm-hmm. because it was a, a digital watch that had a tiny little antenna that you could extend from the watch. It was actually cute. You could actually had a little extendable antenna that would come out of the watch and you could um, you could then speak into a microphone that was on the watch and transmit radio signals to any nearby radio tuned to the right frequency. So you had to tune the radio to whatever the, the frequency is. And this is not that unusual. We've seen lots of other tech use this. I, I remember before um, before it became more common to have MP3 uh, auxiliary hookups in your radio, you would use things that would, uh, you would hook your, your iPod or other MP3 player up to this little transmitter. And the transmitter would transmit a very weak signal to a particular um Frequency, and then you would tune your radio to that frequency, and that would let you listen to your iPod in your car 
before we actually got to deeper levels of integration. Same sort of technology is going on here. The digital watch would transmit at a very uh, weak signal at a certain frequency, and you could pick it up on nearby radios. Not terribly useful, but kind of but an interesting. Cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Never, never went on sale in the United States. Oh. It went on sale in in Asia apparently, but never in the U.S. Um. Also that year, the uh, that that BBC article that I mentioned uh, said that Citizen came out with a watch that that had some kind of voice reaction software, which is pretty cool. I I did not come across that in my uh, research, but yeah, that's that's really early for any kind of voice control type stuff. I'm not uh, sure if it was voice control. I yeah, I, I don't know. That's that that's all I know about it. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so so we can't draw many conclusions. I would hope that it would allow you to at least turn the alarm off by screaming at it. <laughs> Ah, only only stops. screaming, right. Yeah. Well, um, that's, that's kind of my reaction whenever I have anything that has an alarm that goes off that I did not remember had been set. Screaming is usually my follow-up. Uh, uh, you and had then, something about 1989, too. Yeah, 1989, uh, Casio came out with a watch called the Cosmo Phase. Um, so uh, did it just re- play back the time in Carl Sagan's voice? <laughs> That would be so cool. Um, you have no, billions no, no. and billions of seconds to make <laughs> your next appointment. It had um, it, it was an LCD display watch that um, that was just chock full of planetary data. So um, so it would it would tell you all kinds of things about about the phases of the moon and and what planets were visible from different things and stuff. And That's actually kind of cool. Which, I mean, you know, it's it's again self-contained information, right? It's right. not like it's it's not connective. It's <clears throat> not downloading this off the internet of 1989, <laughs> right? Or which, anything like which that. did exist, but hardly anyone had any access to it when you look at the general population. Mm-hmm. But, you uh, know, but, but but that's a bunch of information to, to stick in a watch. You yeah, know? it is. It's, it's, you, it could, is. you could track Haley's Comet from, from like, 1901 <laughs> through 2022 or something like right, that. Right, right. Um, well, I mean, if you're if you're Mark Twain, you can talk about it just by being, that's when you were born and when you died, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, so uh, this wraps up the first part of our discussion about smart watches. We've got a lot more to talk about, including some watches that are actually smart. Crazy. Yeah, I know. You wouldn't even know it from the title, right? Well, anyway, that episode is coming up soon. So uh, in the meantime, if you have any thoughts on things we should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, please let us know. You can let us know in an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook. Our handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again in just a little more time. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 